Welcome to A Word Fitly Spoken, a podcast about Jesus, His Word, and our joy in following Him. I'm Amy Spreeman. And I'm Michelle Leslie. When a true born-again believer sins, we experience great sorrow and we, we throw ourselves on the great mercy of our loving God. And this, of course, is called repentance. Even though God has already washed away our sins, we still occasionally do sin and need to repent of those sins. Tonight, we're going to talk a bit about sin, forgiveness, redemption, and more. Yeah, that's right, Michelle. It is a heavy but very important topic of discussion. But before we get to that, we want to announce to our listeners that uh, Michelle and I are going to take some much-needed time this summer uh, to be with our families and to rest. You know, it does take a lot of mental and physical strength to produce these weekly podcasts, and we gladly do this. And of course, we depend completely on Christ for that strength. But for June, July, and August, we're going to be sharing on presentations of past episodes on our social media accounts. So we hope you follow us on those. And for uh, those of you who listen on one of our many streaming services, we encourage you to just catch up on the rest of the past programs that you might have missed. That's right. There's a lot of great episodes that we've got on our website and, and elsewhere. Yeah. And, and we encourage you to go maybe catch up. If you're a new listener, you can listen all the way from the beginning on our website. And, uh, so there's a lot of, a lot of great podcast episodes out there for you to listen to. But, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna take a little break and come back nice and fresh for you in the fall. Yeah, much needed, like I said earlier, because, uh, yeah, it, it is, uh, you know, this, uh, stressful, uh, time in our, all, all of our lives. I think everybody's feeling it, Michelle, and it's, it's really good. I just encourage you listeners, if, if there's something that you need to take a break from, uh, do that. Be with the Lord and, and be with your family. Um, and it's, uh, it just, uh, amazing what that can do to refresh you. So. Yeah, it really is. And one of the things that we're going to do while we're on our break is that Amy and I are both going to be attending in early June, the very first G3 expository teaching workshop for women. And so we're going yes. to actually get to see each other face to face again for the second time. I know. <laughs> it's going to be fantastic. So we're, we're going to go and we, I'm sure we're going to learn lots of great things about how to handle scripture better and how to teach it better. So we're, we're doing some extra work to be better for you and to be more pleasing to the Lord in our teaching and the way we handle scripture. So that'll be exciting too. Amen. It will be, you know, and the last time we got together was in 2019 and we decided to launch a podcast. So who knows what's going to come out That's of this one. right. So. Oh my goodness. <laughs> You'll just have to wait and see. <laughs> oh yeah. You never know. You never know. Well, that brings us to what we want to talk about for tonight. And the question that Michelle asked, can a true or regenerated Christian sin? And what happens when he or she sins grievously? And how does this person's church respond biblically? And how do we respond in general? Okay, that's lots of questions. I know that was four or five of them at least. But uh, Michelle, we did receive a letter from a listener about this very thing. And that's really what prompted us to explore these questions together in this episode. Yeah, that's right. And we've all seen, you know, the headlines of when a pastor sins against his church and all the, you know, all the opinions that you hear from people who either say, burn them at the stake or, you know, yeah. let's just forgive and forget. But we don't 
want to talk about opinions. We want to see what God's word has to say about these things. Yes. Yeah. So let's start with scripture. When we're first saved, the Bible says that we're forgiven for our sins for all time, but we will not be completely free from sin until we die and are in heaven with Jesus. What we will see is the beginning of a changed life. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That new Christian will grow thanks to the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.19 says this about our flesh. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's quite a list, and we've all sinned in many of those, but as we grow in the Holy Spirit, here's what happens. We pick it up in Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. That progress is called sanctification. You might not notice it right away, but it happens over time. Everyone is different, but if you don't begin to see a change at all, then it's very likely that this person is not a genuine believer. A great place to examine that growth is in 1 John. It is. And in First John chapter 2, in the first few verses, Paul says this, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word... In him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And that's really the start of our journey as Christians. And the question that we received in this letter is, can a true Christian commit a terrible crime, repent, and still be forgiven? Well, the short answer is yes, But then the listener asks again, how do we respond? Now, I don't want to get into the nature of the parties involved here in this letter. The only background I do want to share is that the person in question who was sinning uh, was a fairly new Christian, a young man who was growing in holiness and his love for Christ and his knowledge of scripture, Uh, a dad who is now facing legal consequences for a crime and will likely not see his family anytime soon. No, no one was killed, and no, this wasn't a sexual crime. Okay, that is all we need to know about this situation. Here's what we know about God and about ourselves. Christians can commit horrendous sins. In a moment of weakness, when we take our eyes off Christ, any one of us could stumble and stumble hard. 
An example of a godly person stumbling big is King David. And yeah, we know David was, uh, you know, long before Christ's atonement. Uh, we do know that he was a man after God's heart. Not only did David commit adultery with Bathsheba, he then had her husband killed to cover up his sin. He was a murderer. And David was caught in his sin and cried out for forgiveness only after he was confronted. And if you're not familiar with Psalm 51, give that a read. It's all about David's sorrowful brokenness and confession. Um, quite powerful. Another example is Peter, who denied Jesus three times. He knew that terrible realization the moment his third denial left his lips and he heard that rooster crow, just as Jesus said. Peter was forgiven. Now, it's easy to think that we're never going to stumble, but we can. That's why we need to be alert and in Christ always. History is filled with Christians or those who claim to be Christians committing terrible crimes. Jesus died for these sins as well. In his great mercy, he extends forgiveness to those who are truly repentant. And as far as true salvation goes, well, you can feel regret when you do something wrong, but you can't repent to God if you're not first regenerated by God. Michelle, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I I just think that what you're saying about repentance there is so, so important. Um, and really, you know, when, when we sin, there... There And we get into those heinous sins, you know, like the ones you were talking about with David. People don't just wake up one day and commit a heinous sin. I mean, even David right. didn't do that. It's it's usually one of two things. It's usually either uh, like that, that old Casting Crown song, which we're not recommending Casting Crowns because they are running around with Hillsong right now. But anyway, right. but the old song, they talk about it's a slow fade. Um, yeah. you know, we, we toy with that baby tiger of, of little sins and then they, they gradually grow into a full grown tiger of heinous sin that rips your face off while you sleep. So, you know, don't, don't toy with sin. Nip it in the bud while it's still little, so to speak. Uh, and, and don't let that, that small sin gradually grow into a really heinous sin. So that's one thing. Uh, but then another thing is that sometimes those really heinous sins are committed to cover up smaller sins, like David's murder of Uriah was to cover up his sin of adultery, which is not a small sin, but it's smaller than murder, you know. So it can be one of those two things um, when you get into that area of heinous sin. But repentance is really, really key. Um, people who are genuinely regenerated will come to repent of their sin. They, they don't continue in sin. Uh, and so, so that's really something to look for. Okay, so let's talk about repentance and, and what it is. Some people in Christian circles say that, and I'm sorry, you know, just saying I'm sorry is lip service and not repentance. And that can be correct. As Christians, repenting is more than saying that we're sorry for a sin we've committed. It's acknowledging that that godly sorrow before God and then turning away from it. Amy mentioned that Peter felt great remorse over his denial of Christ in Matthew 26, and he genuinely repented and completely changed direction, becoming one of the boldest proclaimers of Christ in the face of persecution. The Bible is full of repentant people. Zacchaeus, the tax collector, repented for his sin and was so overjoyed at the prospect of forgiveness that he paid back all the people that he had overtaxed, even giving them more. 
Um, when the Holy Spirit convicts me of sin, there's usually a deep godly sorrow, not only, um, for not only a sin that I've committed, but the, also just the dank condition of my human self in general. Just knowing that I've offended a holy, righteous God, the Christ who died an excruciating death for what I've done, just knowing that just grieves me so much. How about you, Amy? Oh, it really does. I can hardly live with myself when when I'm convicted of of something that I've said or done. Uh, it, it's agonizing. I mean, and and we should feel that, Michelle. We should hate our sin enough to mortify it, which is a, a conviction that comes when the Holy Spirit does bring us to repentance, and that is the turning from sin. Like you mentioned, there, uh, Christ died to remove the penalty of sin for the believer, and He also removed the shame of it, and that is the. Pres- Tense. He is removing shame as we are being formed into Christ-likeness. So not only does the Holy Spirit convict us of our sin, but he actually is our helper in the process of repentance and growing away from that sin toward holiness. And I will also say that when we repent, it doesn't absolve us from the consequences of our right, sin. Right. You know, we, we've all seen the little kiddos. I, I know I, I have experienced this myself when my kids were young, you know, when they get caught in their sin and they shout, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you know, <laughs> hoping that mom and dad won't punish them. They're using their sorries for trying to get out of the consequences. And we see that with adults today, too. Uh, but the thief on the cross, that, there's an example of someone who repented and he knew that he and the other guy deserved death for their sin. He repented and was with Jesus that very day. The other thief is lost forever in torment. That's right. Amen. It is never too late to repent. So now for the harder questions, and they all start with E, the people. When when a Christian is caught in grievous sin and they confess their guilt and they seem truly broken and repentant, how should brothers and sisters in Christ respond? How much grace is there for someone who, say, harms another pers- person on purpose in a moment of lapse? Do we ignore her? Do we gossip about her? Well, not. But then what? Well, first we're to recognize that Christians can fail miserably, and there is grace for that. If this person needs professional help, we should be the first to try and find it for her, even extending help to her loved ones. Do we trust that this person will never fail grievously in the future? Well, that depends, but I think we need to pray for ourselves for wisdom. So, um, you know, there are there are actually a couple of schools of Christian thought about forgiving others, two, two schools, if you will, of Christian thought about forgiving others. First is this forgiveness and reconciliation are inseparable. So they're, they're just one thing. Forgiveness and reconciliation are all one thing. Um, you don't forgive someone until or unless she repents to you. Mm, And then she, yeah, then she gets forgiveness and reconciliation at the same time. Uh, but there, there could be some pitfalls for this and some potential problems with this. This can lead. Yeah, this can lead to holding a grudge or harboring bitterness in your heart. Uh, Another thing is that we don't get to decide when someone is repentant enough to our personal liking. You know, in other words, holding our forgiveness over her head until we think she has groveled sufficiently. So I understand that there, you know, probably a lot of our listeners even would would subscribe to this 
first school of Christian thought about forgiving others, that forgiveness and reconciliation are inseparable and there is no forgiveness until the other person repents. Personally, um, having been through situations like that uh, and, and looking at scripture, I sort of fall into the second school of Christian thought on this, which is that forgiveness and reconciliation are discrete. They're separate from one another. In other words, you can forgive someone from your heart, not, not, you know, extending forgiveness outwardly to someone, but forgive someone from your heart, even if she has not repented. And even if the two of you never reconcile, or even, you know, maybe someone that has died and you'll never see again, you can forgive that person from your heart. You don't hold a grudge or harbor bitterness, but you regard that person, like I say, in your heart in a love your enemies sort of way. Then later, if she repents, then you outwardly extend that forgiveness to that person. And then you also can reconcile with that person. So those are two kind of ways of thinking about forgiving others. I really like that, Michelle. I think that especially with the first school of thought, uh, I I actually know several people now in their old age who uh, have harbored bitterness since childhood. And in many cases, the people that uh, she is holding uh, grudges against have died. And it's people who've harmed her tremendously. Um, there, There is no way for her to let go of it. We've talked about it. And, you know, you seem to be making progress. And then all of a and it's like, nope, nope, I, I'm taking it back. I don't forgive her. I, I want to harbor these thoughts. And I think it's because it feels good. It feels good to replay those uh, little scenarios of what happened to you way back when and what you should have said um, and, and what you wish you'd said. And, and all of a sudden, you're, you're living in a fantasy world. And that bitterness, oh, I, it, it is something. Um, it, and that's where we need Christ. We need Christ to mm-hmm. remind us continually through his Holy Spirit that, you know, the conviction of we we aren't to live that way. We are to right. forgive. And, and Jesus said so much about that in scripture, about forgiving others. So I, I really appreciate you making the difference, uh, making the distinction between these two uh, schools of thought. Yeah. And like I said, I don't, you know, I don't hold anything against anybody who's who holds to the first school of thought where, where I'm holding to the second one. I just don't, I can't see myself if, if I'm telling myself, I do not forgive somebody until they come to me and repent. So then how do I regard that person? I mean, I yeah. just can't see myself not holding a grudge or, or just some, somehow regarding that person in a bitter way in my heart. And I just personally, I can't do that. I can't, uh, I got to have that worked out in my heart yeah. and in my mind so that I'm not, every time I think about this person, I'm not, uh, thinking of her in an unforgiving way or him or whatever, you know? Uh, so yeah, so I just, I don't know if that's a weakness in me or, or what, but, uh, I, I just personally, I can't do that. So there's two ways of looking at it and different Christians look at it two different ways. So yeah. And I like how you said too, about, um, hoping that that person grovels just enough for our satisfaction Yeah, Um, because we're not satisfied when somebody, uh, you know, simply says, I'm so sorry. We want them to grovel and feel guilty and, you know, so, Mm -hmm. um, and that's sin on our part. That's not sin on their part if they're true 
truly asking for forgiveness. So, uh, yeah, I, I just, uh, <laughs> just, just something to watch out for ladies as we're, as we're working through, uh, our sanctification here with the Holy Spirit. So, but you know, oftentimes we, we wonder, are these people even saved? And, uh, I think it's really wise to recognize that, well, we aren't to judge a person's salvation. That's not our job. We can continue and we are to continue to examine the fruit of repentance over time. It has to be over time. It can't just be a one and done thing. We want to be careful, though, not to give someone a cover for false repentance. And uh, that's why we examine the fruit. A truly repentant Christian is horrified over her sin and hates her sin. Now, someone who is not Christian will usually feel sad for a while, but then make excuses or find a way to ignore it or brush it off so it doesn't, you know, continue to build up shame, but, but it always does, right? So you think about things like addictions or self-harm. Those are things that the world does when that shame builds up. Only Christ can remove that shame. And I believe that it's not our job to torture that repentant sinner and make them relive their sins over and over to make sure they wallow in that guilt, like you said before, Michelle, because that's what we think they deserve. Oh, what do we deserve? Mm-hmm. Right? Think, ask that question. But you know, that guilt was already paid for and they need to be released from it. They need us to point them to Christ, even in the most of situations. Let the law take care of the punishment part. We don't need to pile on. Now, if the sin is a major crime, like the example that we heard about in the letter, then that person goes to prison to serve out the required sentence, even if they are repentant, and we hope that they are. I think of all the people in prison right now who are being ministered to by brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, Maybe they have prison ministries, and uh, these folks are in need of hearing the message of forgiveness. And so uh, I really applaud people who do go into prisons and uh, lead Bible studies and share the light of Christ with them. Yeah, I do too. I mean, I have a a dear relative who the the first time I met him, um, he's one of my in-laws, was, uh, was in prison and, uh, he, there was a prison ministry at that prison and he ended up getting saved in prison. And wow. so I'm really, really thankful for, for people. Yes. Yeah. For people who go into prisons and, and do that, that kind of work. That's, that's an amazing ministry to have. It sure is. All right. Next question. How should the church body respond when one of the sheep sins against others. We actually have an example or two from scripture. Let's read the first few verses of 1 Corinthians 5 regarding an unrepentant sinner. Here we go. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So again, this was an unrepentant sinner who was carrying on with his father's wife, and the church was apparently turning a blind eye to that. 
the church did end up doing the right thing and kicked him out so that he might repent. That was the purpose of their uh, disfellowshipping him, you might say, or excommunicating him. The purpose was so that he might repent. Okay, now listen to a few verses from Paul's second letter to that same church in Corinth from 2 Corinthians 2, 5 through 7. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. And that's what the church should do. The pastors and elders should pray for a repentance center and those who are closely involved in the situation. If it seems appropriate, the church might share some of the details with the body and call a church-wide prayer meeting. In the case of a very public sin where the media is involved in reporting a crime, this is where the pastor can lead the congregation to love this family the right way, to encourage and exhort members not to gossip, but to love and support. Yes. If the if the church fails to care for families whose members members have sinned egregiously, then that needs to be rectified and the church leadership needs to repent. I agree, Michelle. And in each case, of course, is, is very different, but, uh, the church does need to be there as that, uh, you know, that safe place where people can feel like, you know, we need to come around this family and pray for them if that's the case. So, uh, yeah, I, I agree there. And I think about where we all came from when we walked in darkness. Scripture said God loved us while we still hated him. Living in sin is hating God, but there's good news. And I always go back to this verse because it's, it's so powerful to me, Michelle. First Corinthians six, nine through 11. The apostle Paul describes, of course, the, the kind of sinful lifestyles that believers are saved from. He says, neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then in verse 11, he says, and that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. So can a believer who has committed adultery or child abuse or murder be saved? Yes, if that person turns from that sin, if that person doesn't live a a life of continual sin, if that person repents. Yes, Jesus covered those sins on the cross. Yes, he did. And Amy, I'm so, so uh, thankful for that because we all sin after salvation. Yes. This, this, uh, this idea of sinless perfectionism or, or complete sanctification or total sanctification, whatever that phrase is, that is such a myth. We are, we are yeah. not made perfect, uh, in, in our lives the moment that we are saved. We, we are righteous because we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, but we will, while we are in trapped in this flesh or while we are in this flesh, I guess I should say, we will continue to sin. And Christ's blood has forgiven those sins, past, present, and future. They are all forgiven, yes. but we do still need to repent and still need to be cleansed of those sins on a daily basis. So that's so important. We sure do. And 
We, we just keep yeah, asking ourselves, why do I do what I don't want right. to do? And I don't do what I do want to do. And it, it's, it's that striving t- toward eternity that we, we do that together. And, and it's so important to be connected to a local yes. body as well. Uh, when we're left on our own to struggle, it's that much harder. It really is. It really is. That's why, you know, just watching church online isn't going to do you any good because it's not about downloading information. It's about getting in there in the thick of things with other believers and being sharpened and encouraged and held accountable and, uh, you know, encouraged to repent when we sin and, and things of this nature. So, yeah, if you're not mm-hmm. if you're not a member of a doctrinally sound local church and you're not involved in your doctrinally sound local church, get on in there, roll up your sleeves and get your hands dirty and get in there and you disciple other people and you be discipled by other people. And that is the thing that will help you so much with just what we've been talking about tonight with sin and repentance and and helping you to strive for holiness and to follow Jesus every day of your life. And it's not easy, is it? No. It's, uh, but do it anyway. You know, some people say, I, I, I love this, this kind of this quote of, uh, you know, church would be great if it weren't for those people. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you know what? We're all those people. That's we are. Right. So do it anyway. As much as you're saying that about other people, they're saying that about you too. So we're all in the same uh, boat. Yes. <laughs> Amen. Well, <laughs> listeners, what questions do you have about this topic? These are these are great discussions to ponder as iron sharpens iron. We will continue to pray for the the dear listener who sent in the letter, and we invite you to pray also for strength to resist the ways of the enemy who hates us and wants to see us fail. Don't forget to check out all of our resources on our website, a word fitly spoken dot life. Yes, we'll be here next week with another episode. It'll be our last one before our summer rest. And until then, remember to follow Christ, show mercy, and walk worthy. 